what better day than Pentecost Sunday to talk about revival? So we're going to be wrapping up our series on revivals again, oh Lord. So let's give my dad a warm welcome as he shares today. And Memorial Day weekend, right? Brandon, we'll be sharing a testimony about the Pensacola revival that you experienced at the end of the talk. Looking forward to that testimony along with uh, along with Vicky Serrano's uh, testimony about uh, her experience of the Jesus People revival in Costa Mesa, Costa Mesa, California, and the Jesus People movement in the late 60s, early 70s. Good to see you guys all, smiling faces. Always a good-looking bunch. And, uh, yeah, so we want to just recognize and just, just say that uh, even though it's an extra day to have barbecues and all on Monday, that we are wanting to remember that there are those that have given the ultimate price, their lives, for our freedom. So we want to just, just say thank you, Jesus, for their sacrifice and for the freedoms we do enjoy because of their sacrifice. Amen? Everybody say amen to that. Amen. amen. So this is the concluding talk on Revive Us Again, O Lord, our series. But it's not really because all that we talk about from the New Testament has to do with revival because God never does anything less than revival, does he? He's always pouring out infinite grace and infinite power and infinite blessing, infinite guidance, infinite miraculous ministries. Revival is the new normal. Can you say that with me? Revival is the new normal. And anytime you read, even though you might not read the word revival in the New Testament very often, what you do read is about apostolic culture and the, and the standards and the experience of the New Testament um, did not end with the last amen in the book of Revelation, but only are uh, uh, pointers towards what God is wanting to pour out and has wanted to pour out and has poured out and will continue to pour out in increasing levels all the way till Jesus comes back and and uh, gives us a new heaven and a new earth. What a day that will be. So what I want to do today is um, just say praise God for the talks that we've had so far. We've done research and reading about different revivals that have happened historically. I've always been interested in revivals. I've ended up getting a master's degree, um, a graduate degree on the subject of, of, of uh, church history, historical theology, with a special emphasis on studying and learning about revivals. I've always, I've always felt so blessed by hearing and reading about the subject we've been talking about. We've talked about biblical revivals. We've talked about historical revivals and the biblical basis for historical revivals. Uh, I would like today to look at Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, and some of you have said, well, wait a minute, didn't we already talk about that? Well, yeah, but I didn't have time to talk about all I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so we're going to have a look at that again. The Apostle Paul is, is imparting to his friend Timothy a fatherly blessing, knowing that he is going to be going to heaven soon and recognizing that Timothy there in Ephesus, leading the church um, in Ephesus, um, giving him some final pointers about how to keep things going, how to keep the fire stoked for a New Testament power and blessing revival for his whole life and for the life of everybody there and uh, for generations to come. You will remember that in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, 
that Paul refers to Timothy as a beloved son, which references his own spiritual fatherhood of Timothy. He led him to Christ. And, and then also with reference to his mom and his grandmother's spiritual influence, the faith that dwelled in your mother, the faith that dwelled in your grandma. Man, it's in you too. And so what we're talking about when we talk about um, family, the influence of family and revival, we're recognizing that there is this role, well, this is this review now, of for all of us to embrace an identity, to embrace an identity, to embrace a, a purpose that when we, when we minister to people, we are not just giving them Jesus ministry per se, but we are loving them with the love of a father and the love of a mother. You will remember that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, with reference to the revival there in Thessalonica, reminds them that I was with you like a dad. And I was also with you like a mom. And we need both dimensions. We need mothers in the house of God. We need fathers in the house of God. And when we understand and we embrace that purpose of recognizing that with reference to the church and even as cultural pastors, each of us, to our city, to our cities, Southern Oregon and the world beyond Israel for Ashley right now, that when we reach out in fatherly compassion and motherly compassion to people, that God himself has got our backs. And as we, with our feeble efforts, reach out in fatherly care, motherly care to people, God floods through us and beyond us and hits those people and blesses those people with his fatherly care and his tender motherly care as well. His tenderness, like a mother, not saying that God's our mother, don't don't take that wrong, but I'm saying that God has that dimension to him of tenderness and care. And, And we all have clay feet up to our necks. I know I do, and I actually know you do from my talks with you. <laughs> and it's a profound thing to realize that when we, when we have the courage and the confidence to reach out and care to other people, that we can expect and anticipate God flooding through us and beyond us to do his God stuff, his fatherly care and his tender care towards people in a supernatural way that is way beyond our feeble efforts in just a human way. I just love living that way, don't you? Love love living that way. I want to talk with you today about the family nature of true revival. And one of the things I wanted to note was that as... Fathers and mothers in the house of God, we actually have an atmosphere-changing dynamic. I, uh, when we first moved here and were planting New Song Church, I started a gutter cleaning business and a lawn maintenance business, and uh, for a while. And you've heard me talk about that, different things that happened. But I also was substitute teacher, school teacher in public schools in this area for a while. And I noticed something. I noticed that the principal of the school set the atmosphere for the whole school. Every teacher, every classroom. 
If the principal was organized, self-disciplined, and had intentionality to his leadership or her leadership, it, it, it was a trickle-down effect. It, there was a permeating atmosphere in every classroom in that school. Some schools were a delight to substitute teach in. Others, not so much because of the principle. It's true in a church. I have shared with you in times past that in the year 2015, God gave me a clarifying definition for my own ministry. He, not in an audible voice, but just as clear as an audible voice, shared with me as, Dan, I want a nuance change. I want you to identify more as a father than as a pastor. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I am able to take time to to uh, give a fatherly attention to every single person in the church. But what it does mean is that every relationship and every interaction I do have, I have that in mind. I mean, when Elijah, remember Elisha and, and Elijah, when Elijah went up in the fiery chariot, Elisha didn't shout out there in Second Kings. My pastor, my pastor, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. What did he shout out? My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. The strength of Israel is father, fatherliness. And God was passing the mantle of fatherliness onto Elisha. And he stepped up and did twice as many miracles as Elisha did through the power of God and embraced that identity himself. So the nature of true revival is uh, has a family dimension to it. I and it's the atmosphere changing. I was so blessed by watching Anthony um, dance with the flag was over here with um, with Esme. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, to myself, there's more happening than is meeting the eye here with Alyssa, the mom singing up here, Anthony holding um, daughter close to his his chest, his heart with the music and worship. There is an atmosphere impartation going on here that will be a blessing to, to this little girl for the, for the rest of her life. And this is the kind of thing that we're looking for. We're not, there's a reason why Jesus said, don't call anybody father. There's a reason for it. There's not supposed to be just one per congregation. There's no use calling uh, any one person father when we're, every guy here is a father. Spiritual father. And if you're a biological father, your primary job is to be a spiritual father to your biological family. And if you don't have a biological family, moms, dads, you are called to be a spiritual mom and dad. We've covered this already. I'm just rehearsing. I'm hoping to get to some different nuances, although I'm passionate about. I'm hoping I don't just preach the other one, the other sermon because that's still, it's still, I'm still carrying something about that that's going to show up, I know, in the near future, if not now. We produce atmospheres. You know, Paul in 2 Timothy, he is writing a personal letter to his, his, uh, his friend Tim. Paul's in prison. It's his last experience, his last letter before he goes to heaven. He's executed. He's, he's martyred. And Timothy is in, Paul's in Rome and Timothy is in Ephesus. And it's a personal letter, but at the very end of the letter, he says, grace be with you. And you know what? It's not singular. It's plural. 
And I think that what that speaks to is that this whole letter is written to Timothy, but the anticipation and expectation is that as this word from the apostle is declared over Timothy, that it's going to be such an atmosphere-changing dynamic in Tim's life that it affects the whole, all the, all the home churches and all the public meetings of Jesus' people in Ephesus. And I think that that is, and uh, a pointer to that is that the very last phrase is grace be with you, not singular, just to Tim, but you, plural. Tim and everybody receives the message of this letter. It's a jolting, it's a, it's a shaking, it's a, it's a transforming dynamic. There's an, a spiritual atmosphere involved in revival culture that is family and that's influenced by moms and dads in the house of God. I want to share with you five characteristics of apostolic revival families, and I'm not going to have time to illustrate very well, but I want to make sure I get these said. One apostolic, from this passage, verses 1 through 8, apostolic moms and dads influence church, the church in this way, the family this way. Apostolic moms and dads are grace, mercy, and peace imparters. Have you ever known a family or seen a family that were not grace, mercy, and peace imparters? Yeah. Some of us have experienced the opposite of that, haven't we? And that's sad, and there's... God, Jesus is working redemptively in all those situations too. But the call of God is for us to be grace, mercy, and peace imparters. That every time we interact with each other, that we look for opportunities to push each other off the precipice, off the cliff, into grace, mercy, and peace. God's grace, mercy, and peace. That we see ourselves not just as kind and nice Jesus people that are trying to be like Jesus and giving grace, that is favor and mercy and peace to people, but that we actually, when we try to give grace, mercy, and peace to people, that God's grace, mercy, and peace out of heaven is flowing through us to impart the spiritual blessing of grace, mercy, and peace to people. What a purpose that we have in life. What a reason to breathe. What a reason to get up in the morning. To give people grace, mercy, and peace. Too often, the church at large has been judgmental, condemning, mean. Rejecting. And that's, when I say grace, mercy, and peace, it doesn't mean we have to endorse or bless or say, that's okay, don't worry about it to every kind of self-destructive behavior that people have. That's not what acceptance is. Acceptance and, and grace, mercy, and peace doesn't necessarily mean we approve or we think it's good behavior or healthy behavior. But it does mean that we're, we are relating to people with, um, with an attitude of care that says, if I'm ever going to confront you on something, I'm going to make sure that I also have time to invest in your life in a way to see it this through all the way to the end. I'm not going to throw scud bombs at you from a distance. Scud bombs of judgmental attitudes and judgmental words. I'm going to be the one that's going to step up and serve and bless you. I'm not going to have my primary ministry, I'm speaking for all of us, isn't one of being critical. Judgmental. We relate to people according to the tree of life, not according to the knowledge tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Know the difference? Remember? 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's right. This is wrong. You're doing wrong. I'm doing right. So behave yourself. No. Spirit of life. I love you. Jesus loves you. I'm here to serve you and bring you into wellness and health. Best I can. Okay. Moving quite right along here. People are hungry for grace, mercy, and peace. I think I'm not going to. Oh, I'm going to. I want. We've been illustrating from different revivals, and I want to do a Jesus People illustration one more time. It's about a two and a half minute song from Love Song from the Jesus People revival. That's one of the starting points. There were several starting points, igniting points. One of them was uh, was uh, Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel Church in Costa Mesa, California, and um, Love Song was part of that. And they helped, uh, they were in the vanguard of bringing a new music genre to the Christian church. And this song expresses what happened in that church. And I think if you listen to it attentively, and I'm inviting you to do that, asking you to do that, appealing you to do that, to listen for how a church became a family with walls breaking down in order to reach more people with God's grace, mercy, and peace. Will you listen to it with me for a couple of minutes? This is a historical testimony and declaration of something that happened to it in a church that ended up resulting, according to John Wimber, later with over 80,000 converts that were scattered all across the U.S. and then it exploded globally. And it still has impact today. So some of you will know the song, but listen to the words. Testimony of a church. Little country church on the edge of town. People coming every day for miles around for meetings and for Sunday school. And it's very plain to see. It's not the
talking about. That's what's happening here as well. People loving and accepting and forgiving and relating as family walls coming down. Second, uh, so apostolic moms and dads have an atmosphere imparting a family blessing ministry of grace, mercy, and peace to each other, to people. Secondly, apostolic moms and dads are devoted prayers and they produce an atmosphere, an environment where prayer is habitual, anointed, and blessed in all kinds of ways. Second Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. I enjoy prayer walks in the morning. I ask God for stuff. I thank God for stuff. I enjoy it so much. But the call of God here by Paul's example is that there is an ongoing praise and prayer through the whole day, day and night. It doesn't mean you're on your knees uh, 24-7, but it does mean that there's a, a constant communion that we define our personal success as sharing all of our life with God. And that means asking him for stuff and praising him for stuff. Paul says, I pray for you, Tim, day and night. I don't think he means he was just constantly interceding just for Tim. I think it just means that Paul lived that kind of life of devotion to God. It inc- probably included a, 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 maybe a morning prayer walk when he wasn't in jail, but could also, you know, definitely it's a life of prayer, a life of praise, and a life of prayer meetings. I wanted to uh, just reference that the revival in New York City, started in New York City, spread to other major cities all across the USA in 1857 with one guy, Jeremiah Lamphere, in New York City starting a prayer meeting because he wanted to see revival happen in the city. Six people came late to the uh, first prayer meeting. There was like 20 the next week and 40 the next week and it just exploded from there and have you ever heard of the New York Times yeah some of you are frowning about the New York Times it's it's pretty much a bastion of communism right now if I could say that but I'm not sure I should, should have said that but I did say it I'm not going to take it back but but this is what the New York Times in 1858 says about what happened in the revival in New York City. The great wave of religious excitement which is now sweeping over this nation is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate that in their cars and steamboats and banks and markets, everywhere this matter is an absorbing topic, revival. Churches are crowded, bank directors' rooms and schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the tens of thousands. In New York City, we've seen the busiest hours of the day um, filled with assemblies of merchants, clerks, working people to the number of 5,000 per meeting gathered day after day for simple worship. 
Similar assemblies we find in other portions of our city. A theater is turned into a chapel. Christian churches of all kinds are open, crowded by day as well as by night. It's most impressive to think that over this great land of the USA, thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women are asking in a very simple but serious way the greatest question that anyone could ever ask. What can I do to be saved? New York Times, 1858. May God redig the wells of revival for the New York Times. Amen. I just, just a simple illustration of the power of prayer. Then number three, apostolic moms and dads are compliment experts. Second Timothy four, one through six. I think for time's sake, I'm just going to reference these instead of reading them. But in second Timothy one, four through six, Paul gives Timothy several compliments. I greatly desire to see you. Man, you've got genuine faith. You have an ability to stir up your gift. Just three simple compliments. I think he probably could have come up with dozens. He just spontaneously said those things. The call of God on us as a church family is to attentively, aggressively, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, in our communion with Jesus, and in our communion with each other, habitually and continually look for opportunities to compliment. Not to flatter, which is telling lies in order to influence people. But to see see things that are true blessings God things in someone's life and to speak them out, to say them. There's powers of grace in our words. And to habitually do that is such a, such an infusion of environment and atmosphere changing Holy Spirit experience. We already are doing that. I, I wanted to say, let's keep doing that even more. Four, apostolic moms and dads are very supernaturally practical. I don't know if you ever thought about the day of Pentecost as being practical when the outpouring of the Spirit came, but it definitely it, it definitely was. And the Holy Spirit is designed to be very practical for us. I think I'm going to read verse 6 of First Timothy 1. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't just so that we can speak in tongues or prophesy. There are other very practical blessings that come with it, although those are practical and helpful too. I'm going to say another word about that in just a moment. But Paul gives a list here. He says, the Holy Spirit gift within you is an anxiety neutralizer. Do you like it that one of God's great purposes in your life through the Holy Spirit is to neutralize anxiety in your experience? The Holy Spirit experience is powerful in the manifest presence of God with us. Supernatural power. Supernatural experience of heaven's love 
an affection. Supernatural. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. For those of you whose minds have just wandered off into vain thinking. Front and center. Listen up. Supernatural help for sound thinking. You have the mind of Christ. Use it. Help for how we think. God's always moving in us to help us. Know that that help is there. Very practical. Spirit comes with the laying on of hands. Very practical. Paul laid hands on the on uh, Timothy. Bam! Power. Outpouring of the Spirit. He laid hands on 12 guys in a men's Bible study in Ephesus where Timothy later served. Bam! The Holy Spirit came with power. Very practical. One of my all-time favorite testimonies is in the first church I served. Here's a picture of the building. Yakult Community Church. Yakult Open Bible Community Church. Yakult, Washington. It's the foot of Mount St. Helens. I've showed this before. My favorite testimony was a German lady named Mrs. Rast. About a 25-member congregation served there a year. First year of marriage. First year of teaching junior high school. First year of pastoring. I had to give up one of them. Couldn't do all three. <laughs> so I decided to keep my marriage and teaching. <laughs> but I had some good experiences here. One of them was Mrs. Mrs. The, what happened with Mrs. Rast, a German immigrant from who had experienced World War II in Germany. The last words she heard from her husband, who's a widow, last words of her husband as a Gestapo dragged him out of their house in the middle of the night to draft him into the into the Nazi army. The last word she heard was, Honey, if I don't see you in this life, I'll see you in heaven. And he was killed by the Allies in the battle. And she ended up in Yakult, Washington. I don't know why or how she got there. But her sister lived there too. But Mrs. Rast heard me in a, in a sermon one time just say, you know that, isn't it Nike that used to have the sort of the declaration, just do it? That I was talking about the Pentecost, day of uh, Pentecost outpouring and how easy it is to speak in tongues. I just said, you know what? God's not going to come down and wiggle your tongue and make you talk in tongues. You've got, they said they spoke, but it also says they all spoke. So anybody who is saved and filled with the Spirit can speak in tongues if they want to. Now, if you don't want to, you probably can't do that. Although I have heard of people who didn't want to, they ended up doing it. But I shared a little bit about that. I said, you just start making the noises and God will intercept your noises and turn it into a wonderful language of love and praise to him. It's a secret language with you and God. It's spirit to spirit communion. It's Garden of Eden restored. Walking with God in the cool night of the evening. It's one of the most powerful, powerful uses of prayer. Jesus is our bread. And even as we have the Holy Spirit on us to minister to others, there will always be a sense of lack. If we don't have a deep calling to deep dynamic going on of our spirits communing with God's spirit 
And speaking in tongues is a way of doing that in a humble way. If we don't have that kind of connection with God, there's always going to be a sense of something missing. But with it, there's always utter, complete fulfillment. Deep, deeply, deeply, deeply. It's drinking. We are given the one spirit to drink. Drinking of God. Very satisfying to the deepest soul. When I got my prayer language, I had finally had the courage to believe it was real. All I said was, All my friends had this full language. I was going, About three months before finally, it was very humbling because all my friends were just eloquent in there. But you know what? Finally, God added some more words. I just stayed with it. I just want to say, like Nike, just do it. So I told Mrs. Rast in this sermon at Yackel, you know what? She came back the next Sunday just overflowing with joy. And that's the most satisfying thing that happened in my ministry at Yakult, Washington. The foot of Mount St. Helens. I'll never forget it. It's one of my all-time favorite testimonies. And speaking of testimonies, number five, our last one, apostolic moms and dads are testimony proclaimers. And they produce a family atmosphere of testimony proclaimers. Second Timothy 1 verse 8a. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do you know when someone gives a testimony like Miguel gave this morning, like Maria gave this morning, like, you know, like Michelle Wood gave last week by video. There's a human dimension to giving the testimony, but this says the testimony of the Lord. So when we give testimony, guess who's preaching louder than us? God is giving testimony. God is witnessing to hearts. God is speaking. It's this whole supernatural dynamic that we've been talking about. We think in our human flesh that, you know, it's a feeble effort. But God says, I'm going to use that. What's that you have in your hand, Moses? Who said, actually, I can't speak. I couldn't speak before you started talking to me, God, and I haven't really been able to speak any better since you started talking to me. God said, what's that? What's the, I'm walking stick. Throw it on the ground. Fine. Turns into a serpent. What I'm saying is God turns our efforts, our testimony efforts, into, this, into a miraculous supernatural experience for people in their hearing of our testimony even though it seems weak in our speaking of the testimony. Get it? A couple testimonies as we conclude. One from the um, Jesus People Revival. Vicki, come up here. And one from the Pensacola-Brownsville Revival. Jesus People Revival in, I forgot, was it 68? And you were part of the church in Costa Mesa? Yes. And what, just... Share with us just, we only have time for a couple minutes each for each of you, but um, your experience there, what was cool about it? Um, What was really cool about it, I didn't know it out at at the time, but when you walk in, I walked in, um, there was such a freedom, like all the walls break down. And one of the things I just really remember was the hunger. There was such a hunger there for God that it was like in the air. And you walk into that and you can't help but be in the presence of God. And in that hunger, he revealed to me personally was his love for me. (laughs) 
just his love for me, how much he loved me. I didn't know that. And uh, I think just being in that presence and seeing the hunger, um, I wasn't a hippie. <laughs> I was more, more associated with the beach crowd. But um, with all the walls down and just the hunger and also the songs, the scripture songs that we began to sing, uh, never experienced that before, never experienced any of this. And, uh, you know, you can get good saved. I got good saved when I was 15, but I got good filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 19 in Calvary Chapel. So, and my dad was on one side and my mom was on the other. <laughs> so it was just like, I didn't ask, I didn't just have my hands up and there it was, you know, love, love, his love. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Brandon, come up and, you know, to actually have someone in our congregation that went to Chuck Smith's church in Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, and experienced the firsthand is a real blessing to us, isn't it? I think I'd like to have you guys, have you um, and Andy up here afterwards, and anybody that wants, I felt such a an anointing on you of that revival that's that's still with you, and anybody that would like to, a, a blessing a revival impartation, you can come up and get prayer for that. And then there's Brownsville, Pensacola. And you got to go to that dozens of times in 1994, was it, 95? 95. Yeah. Tell us some of the highlights of that for you. So I was 10 years old when I got to go to Brownsville. My grandfather lived in Pensacola. My mother, we would go down there to visit him. My grandfather was an atheist, so he would feel like, hey, yes, my grandson and my daughter's coming to visit me, but in reality, we just really wanted to go see the Brownsville Revival because there's a hunger. When people come together for a revival, there's always a hunger for something else. When... It was unique because when you get a bunch of people together that realize there's got to be more of God than what they currently have. And it didn't just affect the adults, but it affected the youth. It affected the kids. Because when you're doing a four or five hour service, kids are going to get bored. But when the power of God is touching the kids' ministry, they don't get bored. When the power of God touches the youth, they don't get bored because there's something that happens. So not only did you see the adults being moved in the presence of God, but you saw the kids. I remember one service where they would have the kids in kids' church crying out for more of God. And there was a service where the kids literally saw hell and they were moaning for more to, to for for God to rescue those people that were going to hell. You you had a youth group that it was great to have Lyndall Cooley who 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 did the worship, but but you had the youth group have their own worship and powerful situation happening in the youth group. So it just didn't just affect the adults, and it was an amazing service to 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 hear you speak today on parents because you have to have a parent 
that encourages their kids to go, to step out into the presence of God. And when parents encourage their kids to step out, it, it, it literally changes them. And so that's what's unique this about Brownsville. And that's what happened to me. My mother, I remember one service, I was, I, I was in the adult service, and my mother says, no, you're going to go to the kids' service. But I was like, but God's moving here. And my mom says, but God's moving there too. And I was like, okay. And she would literally force me uh, to go out. But uh, it, it, it's a unique situation, and it starts with the headship. The headship prayed for revival for two years before it even happened. There's a prayer factor. There's a prayer factor. And for churches that really want revival, it's work by getting on your knees and praying it in. Once that happens, then God starts to move. And it changes not only your, your city but the world. Brownsville changed. I think there was over a couple million people that came through the front doors. Of, of Brownsville from all over the world. And over 200,000 came to Christ. And over 200,000 came to Christ. You had warlocks from witchcraft come in and get saved. You, you had the skinhead, one, one of the biggest skinhead uh, gang leaders come in and get saved. You had the jails of the local uh, uh, Pensacola, instead of taking their, their detainees to jail first, they brought them to Pensacola so that they would get saved. I then mean, taken it, to jail. And then taken to jail. It was crazy what was happening. And yeah. it, it, it was a unique situation. And the, the thing with revivals is it can happen again. Amen. That's a po- it, point, it, point of the testimony. Yes. Is it, it? It, it will happen again. Yeah. And God is going to move again, I guarantee you. And when he does, again, you will see the local jails bringing their convicts to church first and then yeah. going out. Thank you, Brandon. Let's stand up. And while we're waiting, as we're calling on God for it to happen again, let's just go ahead and have one ourselves. Have a revival ourselves. Okay, I'd like, actually like Brandon to be up here, um, as well as, as Vicki and Andy, to just bless anybody. See, they, they were imparted to at those two wonderful revivals. Each of those two revivals, the Jesus People Revival and the, and the um, Pensacola Brownsville um, revival in Florida. They have different personalities, but it's the same Jesus, a different emphasis, but same Jesus. And you know, they're both extremely beautiful and sovereignly God-blessed. And um, I know I want to get blessed, but I want to have them lay hands on me and pray for me as well uh, today. But if you'd like to get in on that, come forward and, and receive ministry from them. You guys can come up right now, you two, uh, Andy and Vicki, Jesus People Revival and Brandon. Um, for the Pensacola revival, uh, we're there. We want to be imparted to from you guys uh, t- uh, today. Uh, many of us do. I want to thank each one of you for being here today. We've enjoyed this revival series, and never don't forget that even though the official topic is is over, we're going to keep talking about it because it's definitely in the Bible, and we like preaching the Bible, don't you? Yeah. So God bless you. Thanks for being with us. We love you. God loves you. Go ahead and walk in revival today and all day this week, okay?